0: Today we read from first Samuel twenty six verses one through twelve. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakilah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph, with his three thousand chosen men of Israel, to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah, facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with his army encamped about him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? "'I'll go with you,' said Abishai. "'So David and Abishai went to the army by night, "'and there was Saul, lying asleep asleep inside the camp "'with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. "'Abner and the soldiers were lying about him. "'Abishai said to David, "'Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. "'Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. "'I won't strike him twice.' But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either this time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep.
1: Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Certainly one of the greatest privileges in my life is being a father, but it can be challenging as the times as we all know i can relate to charles wadsworth who wrote by the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong <laughs> definitely can relate to that <laughs> one of the great passages about fatherhood is in 1st Thessalonians where paul is describing his ministry and he says he ministered like a father to the Thessalonians. He says in verse 10 of chapter 2 of First Thessalonians, You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's a picture of a good father who first of all is a good example who walks close to his heavenly father and spends time with him and then encourages his children to walk in a manner worthy of God. A good father is wanting to build the faith of his children. Of course, God is the perfect father And his goal for us is to build our faith. When we come to him, it's not over. He begins then to want to grow us up. As many of you know, I had knee surgery last August, and my muscles in my leg were atrophied, and there began a rigor of physical therapy to rebuild the muscles. And to do that, you've got to work. And at times, I did not like my physical therapist, because he would push me beyond what I thought I could do and each time he would push me a little more and a little harder but you've got to stress those muscles the muscles have to be burning you've got to have the lactic acid built up in them so that they can begin to grow and next time you do it again but a little harder and a little more and it takes those exercises that work to, to build your muscles so that you can regain strength and get stronger and stronger It's the same with faith. Faith is a muscle that has to be exercised to get strong. If your faith isn't strong, it's because you just need to exercise it more so it can get stronger and stronger. You need to get get stretched beyond your limits, beyond what you think you can take. And God is a very faithful trainer (laughs) to put us through the workout we need For our faith to grow. Even though it feels very uncomfortable when you're going through it, right? Well, God's doing that with David. God anointed him king through Samuel. And then he sent him into the wilderness to build his faith. To go through the exercises and the strains and stresses and the discomfort of having his faith stretched to the limit beyond what he thought he could take so that his faith could grow. And God takes every one of us through faith-building exercises because he loves us so much as a Heavenly Father and in his grace and his love, he puts us in situations where we have to be stretched so we can learn to trust him more. That's why James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Great. (laughs) Why? Because the testing of your faith, the exercising of your faith, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God tests our faith. So that our faith will be strong and resilient and able to handle the difficulties of life to a greater and greater degree. That's what God's doing with David and that's what he's doing with us. And if we can understand how God's working in David's life, it will encourage us to hang in there when God puts us through those rigorous exercises that stretch our faith. So pray with me and we'll look at this passage together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are a Father who delights in us, who is a perfect example for us, and who is never content with leaving us as we are, but who is constantly working life so that we might grow, have our faith strengthened, and might learn to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Thank you for that. Help us learn, Lord, how to cling to you in the midst of those difficult, stretching times where our faith is stretched to the limit. Teach us today from David. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to highlight four exercises or four tests from this passage that I see that God is putting David through. The same tests that you and I go through, the same exercises that you and I have to go through in our lives. The first exercise, the first test I see is, will we give up? (laughs) Will we give up? Chapter 26, verse 1 says, The Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Isn't David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, and 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David, in the wilderness of Ziph. For David, I think this had to feel like the same old thing. (laughs) Back in chapter 23, verse 19, the Ziphites betrayed David. They said, hey, Saul, David's hiding among us. Come kill him. And now, years later, same thing happens. David goes to hide there and the Ziphites say, hey, Saul, David's hiding among us. Come kill him. Come take him out. It's a betrayal again. And it says he's hiding in on the hill of Hakalah. The word of the word Hakalah means dark. In the area of east of Jeshimon. Jeshimon means desert. Here's David still in the wilderness, still running, still in difficulty. He's in darkness. He's in the desert. He's in the midst of discomfort. It's a tough place to be. And he gets betrayed again by the Ziphites, who are probably relatives of his somewhere down the line. So Saul comes with his 3,000 chosen elite fighters. And David's with his 600 stragglers, who remember who they were? They came to him because they were in debt. They were running from the law. They were in trouble. They came to him, brought their families. So he's got 600 straggling men and all their families, and Saul brings his 3,000 elite fighters. The odds aren't good. It's a difficult place. So David wants to make sure Saul's there. He sends out his spies, we're told, verses 3 and following. To find out if he's really there, he finds out yes. David himself rose and came to the place where Saul was encamped, verse 5, and he saw the place where Saul lay. This was a test. David, running in the wilderness, being chased again. And I think the test, when we have this kind of test, is this. Will we give up? Will we keep trusting God, or will we give up? We all face this at times. Will we take things in our own hands, try to work it out ourselves, or will we continue to trust God When the trials go on and on. Sometimes we can work up faith for a crisis, right? And respond really well. But what happens when a trial goes on and on and on and on and on and on? It's hard to keep trusting God. And while we know that God often shows up at the 11th hour, right? (laughs) He shows up at the last minute and intervenes. But for a lot of us, it feels more like he shows up at the 13th hour. He doesn't show up at the last minute. He shows up 10 minutes late. Uh, It's never early enough for us. He doesn't do anything sometimes, even though we pray and pray, at least not on our timetable. And so sometimes we get bitter and angry and resentful, and we just give up and say, Forget it, God, I'm not trusting you. I will work this out myself. Perseverance is hard. That's why we need to be strong in the Word, and we need strong fellowship, encouragement from one another, because there's times where I don't think I could have gone on without the encouragement of other believers in my life. We need each other, we need to be in strong fellowship so that when those times of testing come, we have the support of one another so that when we don't have faith, we can rely on the faith of each other. We all need that at times, but we have to build the foundation of that now for when those times come because God will test our endurance. I promise you. God will stretch our faith to the breaking point. How do I know that? Because that's the only way faith grows. It only grows when it's stretched to the very limit. So God knows how to exercise our faith, to put us in a place where it doesn't seem like we can hang in there anymore. Why? Because He loves us. And He wants us to learn to trust Him fully. How does David respond? Does he give up on God? Well, not in this passage. Come back next week. <laughs> You'll hear a different story. But for now, he steps into the situation with faith and he trusts God and he keeps God in his mind and he hangs in there. He engages it with confident faith and we can't too. As David moves towards Saul with truth, So the first test I see that God's putting David through, the first exercise is, will we give up? Secondly, will we save ourselves? Verses 6 through 12, will we save ourselves? Will we take things in our own hands and do it ourselves? Notice verse 5, David rose, came to the place where Saul had encamped. David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, his generals laying with him. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. And David said to Himelech the Hittite, Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, this, by the way, Abishai is David's nephew, who will go into the camp to Saul? Abishai said, I'll go with you. So they went into the camp and there was Saul, surrounded by all his men. Saul has essentially circled the wagons. Really, that's what the word means. He's, he's become encircled by all his men. His 3,000 elite warriors, his fighters, are in a big circle around him. And after layer after layer, there's Saul in the very center with his general and his spear, his weapon next to him. I like the way Brian Morgan put it. He said, the imagery suggests a king filled with egocentricity. (laughs) The whole world revolves around him. And paranoia. (laughs) It takes the whole world to protect him. There he is in the middle of this huge circle of elite men. So David and Abishai walk right into the camp past all the men, through the layer after layer after layer, and they come to the very center where Saul is laying there. And Abishai in verse 8 says to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I won't strike him twice. Abishai is saying, Hey, (laughs) Unc, let me take care of him. And I know how to kill. It won't take two thrusts of the spear. I'll finish him off in a hurry. It's his own nephew. Abishai says, I could take care of him. And Abishai says something very interesting here that I think is a reminder and a temptation to David to end it all now. To just finish Saul off. Because Abishai says, I will take his spear and I will pin him to the ground. Now David, as you recall, was almost killed by Saul twice in the palace. It says that Saul took his spear, the same spear, Saul's spear, and tried to pin David to the wall when they were in the palace. Twice, the exact same words. So it's as if Abishai is saying, David, you know what? He tried to kill you twice. This is just self-defense. You have every right to finish him off. And in fact, David, you don't even have to do it. I'll do it so you aren't responsible. You're worried about, you know, taking the Lord's anointed and you've talked about that. You don't want to touch him, but I'll do it for you. This had to be a powerful temptation to David to just end it. He's been running in the wilderness. Life is a pain because of Saul. It's a difficult time. It's rough. He's running. It's a reminder of Saul's attempts to kill him. This would be self-defense. What will David do? I think we face a lot of similar temptations in our lives. Satan wants us to not trust in God, but rather to trust in our own efforts to fix the things in our lives, to try to come up with our own solutions, to try to save ourselves. That's the exact same same temptation that Satan used with Jesus, remember? The three temptations in the wilderness. Jesus is hungry. Satan comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus, you could take things in your own hands here. You could turn rocks into bread. You could jump off the pinnacle of the temple and his angels would have to save you, right? Because you're Messiah. And if you bow down to me, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. Do you realize the real temptation there is, number one, to act independently of his heavenly father, and number two, to avoid the cross. Satan's saying, you can have all the kingdoms now if you'll just bow down to me. You can avoid the cross, Jesus, you can avoid the pain and the suffering if you'll just bow down to me. That's the that's test for every one of us. That's the exercise here. Will we save ourselves? Will we come up with our own plan? Will we say, God, I don't know if I can really trust you to handle things here. I need to do it myself. Here's a great opportunity. It looks like a great chance for me to fix things. I can end it here. And always the temptation is to avoid further suffering, to avoid the cross. Satan tempts us and says, you know, you can avoid suffering if you'll just do this. Yeah, it means not trusting God, but... Because often we look at it and we see that trusting God does mean it's the harder path. It does mean more suffering at times. Will we do it ourselves to avoid the cross or will we trust our Heavenly Father which may mean increased suffering. That's hard. It's a, it's a tough temptation. Will I step into this difficult relationship and go talk to this person when I'd rather not, and it may not go well, or how about if I just avoid them and do my own thing? How often do we do that? Uh, and yet God's prompting us to step in, to step out, to follow Him, to trust Him. That, and as we do so, to trust that He will accomplish His will through us and grow our faith in that test. Are you with me? This is a test we face, isn't it? This is an exercise where our faith gets stretched. Will we trust Him or will we not? Brian Morgan again says... David penetrates each line of defense as he goes to right where Saul is, moving closer and closer to Saul until he arrives at the center. In the blackness of the night, everyone's in a deep sleep. What David sees is a grave. At center stage stands Saul's spear, the symbol of death, thrust into the ground next to his skull. To David, this tableau becomes a prophetic symbol of Saul's death. And the temptation is, will I take it into my own hands? But I love the way David responds here. Because what he does, verse 9 and following, David says to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and not be guiltless? David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And it says the the reason the men didn't wake up is because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. So David speaks word of faith here in the midst of it. He reminds himself of what God says and he chooses to obey what God has given him and He trusts God with what will happen to Saul in the long run. He says, Abishai, I don't want you to be under God's judgment. I don't want you to fall into that. I don't want you to get into trouble. And and as I've seen with Nabal, God will work it out his own way. Remember what happened with Nabal? David wanted to kill him. Abigail stops him. And then God strikes Nabal down. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying, I trust God to deal with Saul. I don't know how he'll die. It may be in battle. It may be some other way. But I will not do it myself. I love the way David relies on what, how he saw God work with Nabal. And he says he's going to work with Saul in a similar way. Maybe not the same way. You see, our faith grows as we remember what God has done. It's important to think in your life, well, how has God worked? To have those memorial stones, God, how have you worked in the past, so I can trust you for this new situation? Yes, it's different, but you're going to work here because you've worked in the past, and that encourages our faith and helps it to grow. And let me just say, there's there's something we need to recognize here. Think about the open door that David had. God made everybody sleep. God allowed them to go right up to Saul. The spears there is handy. It looks like an open door that God's opened up for David to kill Saul, doesn't it? But he doesn't take it that way. Just because there's an open door, it doesn't mean it's God's will. Just because there's an open door, it doesn't mean that it's God's will. It may be a test of your faith. I've had a number of people say to me, well, I've prayed about it. And the door opened up, so I just know it's God's will when it was a clear violation of Scripture. When it clearly was not wise, but it was an open door. And they took that as the reason that therefore it must be God's will. You see, there's a lot of other factors besides an open door that help you determine God's will. Is it in line with Scripture? Have you sought wise, godly counsel? Do you truly have a clear conscience about it? An open door may be a test of your faith, not a confirmation of God's will. It takes discernment to determine which it is. So let this be an encouragement to us when we get tested to take things into our own hands. And others are telling us, like Abishai, to take things in our own hands. Here's your chance. You need to leave the jerk. Divorce him now. Get her back for what she's done. She deserves it. All those voices that come at us like Abishai may be part of the test. And God's wanting to stretch our faith and have us stand firm for Him like David does here. In the test, in the exercise of faith, where we're tested and tempted to take things in our own hands. The third exercise or test that I see God putting David through here is, will we give in to pride? Will we give in to pride? See, C.S. Lewis called pride the greatest sin. Pride is our self-dependence that builds ourselves up and rejects dependence on God. David has just saved Saul's life from Abishai, He's taken Saul's spear and water jug. He's shown how despite all of Saul's best efforts and all his men and everything else, Saul is completely powerless. David is powerful over him. I, I don't know about you, but I think I would have been tempted to be pretty proud at that point. <laughs> ha! Look at me. God's on my side. You can't touch me, Saul. <laughs> Will David give in to that kind of pride? You know how easy that is to do. Maybe somebody's been pressuring you or dominating you and all of a sudden you win. <laughs> you come out on top. It's easy to give in to arrogance, to self-righteousness, especially when you know they were wrong and you were right. na 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 It's easy to give in to pride. What does David do, though? Verse 13. First, he rebukes Abner, Saul's general. 13 and following, he says, Abner, why weren't you taking care protecting the king? You should have been good, a good general. He demonstrates his deep concern for the king, for Saul, by rebuking Abner. And then in verse 17, Says Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, O Lord, O King, my Lord, O King, and he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, May they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. David, in a very gentle way, rebukes Saul. Is this really of the Lord? Well, okay, if it's of the Lord, if I've done wrong, then let him accept an offering. But if this isn't from the Lord, if, if men have prompted you to chase me, of course, Saul's been prompted by himself, but, so it's a gentle rebuke. He says, realize that they pushed me away from the Lord and they're trying to push me to serve other gods. This is evil, this is wrong, and may they be cursed. But notice how he rebukes Saul with this gentleness and with this humility. You see, over and over again, he says, My Lord, I'm your servant. He doesn't put himself over Saul, though he easily could. He just says, You're the king, O king, my lord. I'm your servant. I'm a nobody. You're you're like chasing a single flea. It's like it's like you're chasing a partridge in the mountains, you know. If you've ever been chucker hunting, <laughs> you know what that's like. You try to chase them and you hear them, and then they fly to the other side, and you got to go all the way down and back up. The, you know. He says, "Why are you wasting your time doing this, Saul? I'm a nobody. What a waste for a king to spend him t- his time on this." I love David's humility here. He rebukes Saul, but in a gentle, kind humble way when things do go well for us that's a temptation that's a test for us will we give in to pride will we take credit ourselves or will we continue to say no this is totally of the lord you know what's happening it's just i'm just doing what god's called me to do like jesus said hey if you just serve me and things go well he said just say i've only done what i should do as a servant of yours I've only done my duty. Jesus' words in Luke 17. So that's our test. Will we give into pride, take credit, or will we continue to be dependent on the Lord and be humble before him? And then the final test I see in this passage, the exercise that God, the workout God puts David through is, will we trust in man or will we continue to trust God? Will we trust in man or God? Verse 21, Saul said, I have sinned. Return. And that's the word for repent. We'll see that again in a moment. Return or repent, my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly. I have made a great mistake. Fine words from Saul here he sounds like he's repenting. He admits that he's sinned, he's a fool, and he's erred greatly. And he says, David, I promise I will do you no harm ever again. Please come back to the palace. Please come back home. Is Saul sincere? Think about that. Is he sincere? I think he is. I think he's absolutely sincere at the moment. (laughs) But has Saul changed? No. No, psychologists have studied this addictive cycle that they've talked about, and I think it's very descriptive of of how we function in any kind of addiction, whether it's Drug or alcohol or rage or whatever it might be where the tension builds and finally you give into it and then you feel bad about it afterwards and you apologize and you want to make it up and you work real hard to be really kind and good but then the tension builds again and you give into it and it's just a cycle and so many of us are fooled by people who say words that sound like I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. And I think they're sincere at that point, but they're not off the cycle, and so they haven't changed. And they will do it again. They will abuse again. They will rage again. They will give in again to the addiction because they haven't, at some deeper level, changed. Now, I think the temptation, the test for David here, is it had to sound awful good to just be able to go back to the palace. And maybe Saul's sincere this time. Maybe he really means it. Maybe he's changed. He promised and in front of all his men and all these people, so maybe I can trust him. It would sure be nice to not have to run in the wilderness anymore and to be able to go live a normal life. And I've got the king's promise. Certainly he won't renege on it now. But in the end, we have to choose between are we going to trust Men or God? And that's the test for David here. Very interesting. Listen to what he does. Verse 22. David answered and said, Here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. That's David's answer. I'm not coming. I can't trust you, Saul. So let someone else come get the spear because I'm not bringing it to you. The Lord rewards every man, verse 23, for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. So David doesn't come to Saul. He says, I'm going to trust the Lord. May the Lord deliver me. May the Lord take care of me. I am going to put my weight on him and not on you. It's an encouragement for us that when we have that test, that someone says something that they've said over and over, maybe, and you think, well, maybe they've changed this time. Then maybe we need to wait and see over time if they've really changed or if they go around the addictive cycle again and again. Saul's a chronic liar. And there's just no evidence that he's really changed. So how is God speaking to you this morning? Where are you trusting in man, whether it's a president or a spouse or a child or whomever, rather than in God or a presidential candidate? (laughs) Declare your faith in God like David does and stand on it and your faith muscle will get stronger over time. Verse 25, notice the end of the passage Saul said to David blessed be you David my son you will do many things and will succeed in them so David went his way and Saul returned to his place the word returned is repented but notice where did he turn to to the Lord no Saul went right back to the same old things again he hasn't changed very sad end here this is the last time Saul and David ever see each other It's a tragic ending to their relationship. David is now acting as the true king and Saul is acting as a fool. Faith is a muscle that needs to be tested, exercised,
0: stretched
1: to grow stronger. And God as a loving father takes us through situations where we can go through these exercises so that we can grow to trust him more and more. So don't be surprised when life's hard but see it as an opportunity to grow in our faith, to respond as David does here. Here, in this passage, he gets it right, (laughs) though he struggled, as we'll see next week. His faith went up and down, but here he puts his faith in a father who has proved his love, and we can do the same. He's proven his love by sending his son to die for us on the cross, and therefore we can know he loves us and will love us to the very very end this song we're about to close with jesus lead on as a reminder will we keep following him even in the dark times even in the foggy times even in the difficult times will we follow him and say jesus lead on i will follow let's pray oh lord thank you that you are a loving father who disciplines us, who continues working in us to help us grow in our faith, that we might trust you and experience life to its fullest as our perseverance grows, as our character changes. Help us cling to you in those times of stretching, of testing. Thank you that you love us enough to not leave us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.